So Christmas time, you know, December is usually crank it up and get busier time, right? It's uh, looking at a list. It's thinking of what you got to get the kids and people that are out of town and buying presents and going to parties and lots of food and probably more family and friend gatherings. So it tends to get a lot busier. And I want you to be able to count on something when you come here Sunday by Sunday through this month. Because all that's good. But I want you to be able to count on slowing down and looking fully into the face of Christ when you come together. And today is no exception. To behold this incredible Savior that we have. To allow our hearts to meditate, even like Mary, to ponder deeply the truths of God, the truths of God becoming flesh in Christ. So we have this series that's called When God Came Near in the Next Four Weeks, or When God Came Near Through the Eyes of Joseph, being able to see the birth of Christ through his eyes, through Mary's eyes, through the shepherd's eyes. And then Christmas Eve morning, we're going to be looking at the incarnation itself and what a joy and hope and Savior we have in Christ. So through this month to meditate, to behold, to ask God to open the eyes of our heart to see him differently and more deeply and in a more precious way. And what if God actually built your wonder and your anticipation and your worship over these next weeks. I don't think it's going to end in December, and it shouldn't. It marks you as a person because you've beheld the Savior, and what you behold, you become. And if you would just say with me, we're going to behold Christ in a new way through this month. I'm going to come each Sunday, and I'm going to behold. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to read God's Word, and I'm going to read those stories about His birth, and I'm going to behold Christ, and behold Christ, and look full into His faith, face and ask God to open the eyes of my heart to see him, that he would reveal himself more and more to me because life will take you away from beholding Christ if you don't make this kind of intentional decision. And we can do that together. And what a joy that's going to be. And that will start to set a course for a new year, for 2018. New things that God wants to birth, right? You study Christ in his birth and his his incarnation. He will birth new things in your heart and in your relationships. And that's going to just start spilling over, like we said, into our neighborhoods. It's going to spill over into relationships. And it's going to keep spilling over into your marriage and your family. So let's believe that together. That's where we're headed this month. And today, when God came near through Joseph's eyes. And we're going to look at some verses in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18 through verse 25. So the text is this, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Well, what do we know about Joseph? Even before we talk about the details of the story, you know, backdrop, right? What do we know about Joseph? We know that he was young. So Jewish tradition would say that Joseph was around 15 or 16 years of age. They typically both families of the young girl and the young, young man, the young woman, young man, would contract that they would know each other from the same town, right? And they would set this up ahead of time. And by the time they're 15 or 16, that they would be engaged, betrothed to one another. So they were both young. Joseph was a young man. He was from a humble family, a carpenter's family, would become a carpenter himself. And ultimately, then Jesus would be trained as a carpenter. But he was humble and came from humble roots. 
that he was submissive. It says that Joseph obeyed the Roman government and made a 70-mile, it's a long trip, a 70-mile trek on foot himself with Mary on the donkey being pregnant to obey the government, the Roman government that said that they needed to go register in their hometown so they left Galilee to Bethlehem to be registered. Took him about a week of walking to get there. We also see that he was a righteous man. The text says that he was just or righteous as it's translated. And from this word sadiq in the Hebrew, and it means one that is uncompromisingly obedient to the Mosaic law. So when you think about Joseph, you think about this young man who was betrothed, that understood the Jewish customs, who was humble and he was submissive to the government, but he was very focused on obeying God through the Mosaic law, uncompromisingly. So wanted to be a man of reputation that would love God and be considered sadiq or righteous. That was like their high calling, and he was on that road. We also see this word sadiq in Genesis 6. So it's a, it's a theme that we see throughout Scripture. In Genesis 6, we know that Noah was called sadiq, that Noah was a righteous man, that he was blameless and walked with God. So in that same tradition, now we have Joseph who was desiring to be righteous and to walk closely with God in obedience. He didn't eat unclean food. He didn't hang around with the wrong crowd. He didn't keep his carpentry shop open on the Sabbath to make a few more drachmas, right? I mean, he was trying to really adhere to the law as he was taught. He worshipped and sacrificed to God in all the right ways. He was what every Jewish boy wanted to be, a righteous man that people admired, a man with godly reputation. That was of utmost importance to Joseph. He was also one that was challenged. God had challenged him with a high calling, right? You have this Sadiq, this righteous Joseph with a big problem because the girl that he had promised to marry is pregnant and he knew he was not the husband or not the father. But who was it? He was in the midst of something I think all of us would say was pretty challenging. Mary's pregnant. Mary's saying, it's from the Holy Spirit. Completely blindsided, completely dumbfounded. Maybe thoughts like, you know, I thought she was loyal to me like I've been to her. Now my perfect plan is not going to happen. I've laid out the future. That can't happen. This is all ruined. It needs to end. How do I recover from this? You can imagine as a young man, 16 years old-ish, trying to deal with the reality of what he's being told by young Mary, that he really didn't know that well. How well can you know someone as a teenager? Probably knew of each other and some, but it was an arranged marriage. And I'm trying to walk as Sadiq, as righteous before God, and she's not. And now she's telling me, no, this is of God. Like, what? Without anyone else involved, it was just God? He had a lot he was wrestling through and trying to reconcile, trying to imagine that Mary was pure like she said and that there was some angel and this angel said it was from the Holy Spirit and this miracle of this virgin birth. And maybe he knew some of the prophecies. He was Sadiq after all. Maybe 
He's like, well, wait a minute. There was this prophecy of the virgin birth. That we, we don't know that. We just know that he was pretty overwhelmed with a lot of information that wasn't adding up. But we also know that Joseph was kind. He wasn't just righteous, he was kind. He knew that in order to obey the Mosaic law because of her unfaithfulness, so he thought, and so it would appear with her pregnancy, he needed to divorce her legally. Again, this is betrothal was a legal arrangement by two families. The ceremony was yet to come, but it was already a, kind of official. So he needed to officially end it, but he was kind. He didn't want to drag her out and shame her in public. So he was going to divorce her quietly. This would allow him to minimize her suffering and maintain his status as a righteous man. But at this point, this is where God intervenes. And we pick up the story in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So an angel of the Lord visits Joseph in a dream and announces, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to marry Mary. <laughs> like this is... God's plan for you, do not be fearful. You're in the line, you're in the lineage. Joseph, son of David, reminding him, right? The baby is conceived of the Holy Spirit. What a humbling revelation to be told by that angel. To realize that God had chosen you as the final link of the lineage that would bring about the Messiah of the world that this was happening, and this was happening now through the one you're engaged to, and you're going to be the father to welcome the Savior of mankind into the world and raise him? Can you think he was a little overwhelmed? Can you imagine the struggle and the humbling that all of these prophecies and promises of God were now going to be fulfilled? And he was a major player in the whole process. Maybe you wondered, why didn't God just tell him earlier and spare him all the anxiety, right? Or the, the fear and the wondering, and that's a good question. A lot of people, a lot of commentators think that it's because God was trying to bring about a new kind of righteousness that would include faith and, and compassion and mercy. That Joseph needed to struggle with these thoughts of what he would do, and through his kindness, and through his treatment of Mary, but now to trust God and instead of divorcing her quietly, to bring compassion and love and understanding and mercy and faith into the equation. Would Joseph be willing to sacrifice the hope of being seen as righteous in others' eyes? If he's struggling to believe it, wouldn't everyone else struggle to believe it? Would he still be considered Sadiq? Would he still be seen as righteous and lifted up? Could he ever be admired or respected again if he committed to Mary and to this baby? 
I think he realized in the eyes of others he would be less. But in God's eyes, he would be exalted. Little did he know at the time that the child that he would adopt would bring to mankind a new kind of righteousness that would not have to be earned or performed for through the Mosaic Law, but would actually come and fulfill the Mosaic Law and be people's righteousness. They didn't have to earn it and perform for it any longer. A righteousness that comes through grace by faith as a gift. Gifts you don't earn, you receive. Full of truth and compassion. In fact, one day, many years after Joseph's death, he wasn't alive as Jesus started his three-year ministry. After his death, Jesus would speak these words recorded in Matthew. Unless your righteousness passes that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus doing in those words? He was saying, now it's not a matter of following the law perfectly. And Joseph was, that was his trajectory, to be obedient, to follow it faultlessly, and now to have the one brought into the world, God himself in flesh, to fulfill the law, to be his righteousness, to actually say no one, even the most perfect Pharisee, was righteous to be accepted by God because they still sin. They're still sinners that fall short, and they still need a Savior. But to realize that Christ was saying, now I will give my righteousness for your filthy rags for your sin. My righteousness covers your sin and gives you a new heart. But I can also imagine that God reminded Joseph that he was doing the right thing every time he looked into the eyes of Jesus. Every time he looked at that little baby and that toddler and that young boy. And that 12-year-old that was in the temple that had to be about the father's business. That every time he looked into his eyes, he realized that he was looking into the face of God. And God was pleased, well pleased, that he chose to trust him in his plan. That he chose to marry, marry and adopt this child, the Messiah. That these prophecies were all really true and were being fulfilled. It's probably a safe bet that Joseph remembered every day that his name, one of his titles, was Emmanuel. He named him Jesus like he was told. But one of his titles is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And to think of this child that you're responsible to raise was God. And God said, I will be with you. The son with them. The father overshadowing them. With them always. Never to leave them. We know that's prom that promise is true for you and I today. Because God will never leave us or forsake us. So Emmanuel was in that manger. Emmanuel was in his arms. Emmanuel would never leave him all the way to his last breath. And I can also imagine that the Holy Spirit was reminding Joseph of other titles of Jesus. Ones that we see, say in Isaiah, that he was the wonderful counselor. Is the wonderful counselor. Almighty God. Prince of Peace an everlasting father, and all the rest of the titles that we see in Scripture. But those were probably very precious to a young man who knew the Old Testament and knew these prophecies, knew Isaiah, knew these titles of this one that was now Emmanuel, Jesus, the Savior of the world, with us. 
And now he was to love and train and mentor this baby and this young man to provide and protect him. So humbling, so overwhelming. And yet by the strength of God, he could do it. And he did. And it continues on in verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he woke from this dream that the angel spoke to him in. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph woke up from that dream, and what did he do immediately? He obeyed. Once he knew it was clear, once he knew it was from God, he obeyed immediately. Even though he was so humbled, so overwhelmed, even though he didn't know what was to come, and there was a vague blueprint of the prophecies of who this Jesus was, and yet now I'm going to be the one with Mary to raise him, he was still willing to act immediately and obediently to what he was told. Do you think he felt inadequate? What do you think? Think he felt like Moses who was tasked by God to lead the people of Israel, God's people, out of the bondage of Egypt through the Red Sea into the promised land? Do you think Moses was overwhelmed? Remember, he said, basically, he said, God, can you find somebody else? <laughs> felt very inadequate. Do you think Joseph felt those feelings? Knowing that he would be an instrument bringing Jesus into the world, right, and raising him up to be the Savior that would save not only the people of God, but all the people of God, Jew and Gentile, those that would place their faith in Christ. Wasn't he really the next Moses? And didn't he feel inadequate? And yet, as an adoptive parent would understand, or those of you that have fostered, what that would be like to say, he's not mine, but he will be just like mine. I will adopt him as my own. I will do all I can do with the Emmanuel that is with me, the one who will strengthen me, the one that will continue to perform his will and the fulfillment of these prophecies, even with and through someone like me and Mary. And he agreed. And he stepped out in faith. And he was courageous. Maybe he was thinking also of the other Joseph that we know about in the Old Testament. Any of that occur to you? There's another Big Joseph. There are a couple, actually, but Joseph of the Old Testament. Remember his story. Joseph in Genesis. You can read about his story in the last 10, 15 chapters of Genesis. He had divine dreams as well. He also had a father named Jacob. Isn't that interesting? And he was used to bring about the saving of God's people from a famine that would have wiped them all out. And God chose the Joseph of the Old Testament to be a very special player in the saving of God's people as he chose Moses, as he chose Joseph and Mary. And maybe if you've fostered or adopted, you have even greater insight into the heart of this young man. Joseph trusted God and he backed it up with courageous action. He didn't just think about having faith in God. He didn't just Say he had faith in God. His faith was demonstrated in courageous action and immediate obedience. When he didn't have the whole plan laid out, he didn't have a specific blueprint for everything. He was told what was going on and that he needed to walk in faith and trust. And he did. 
He believed that God would be with him, literally, and he was. He believed that God's word was being fulfilled and would continue to be fulfilled, that he couldn't mess it up. His focus and his faith and his trust was in the Father and his words and that they would be fulfilled. So because of his faith, God gave Joseph the, Joseph the privilege to care for Jesus at his birth and to raise him. What a privilege. And then God enlisted another Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, to care for Jesus at his death. I'd never read that before. And I never put those pieces together until just this week. That Joseph had died before Jesus started his ministry and went to the cross to give his life as a ransom for many. He wasn't able to be there. Like any dad would want to be there for the hardest time in his son's life. For the fulfillment of what he knew would bring joy and hope to so many people. But he was already with God the Father. So God the Father had a plan to bring another Joseph to care for him at his death. Matthew 27 says, When it was evening, there came a rich rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Jesus was actually born, they say, in a cave where they held animals, not like a barn, not a, something that they built. It's something they created in the earth. The structure where they lived was probably above it. And to the side, he was born in a stable, more of a cave-type setting where the animals were kept, brought into this world, cared for by Joseph, And Mary. And then at his death, God raises up another Joseph to wrap his body and to place it back into the ground. That blew me away this week. Maybe it does you too. God has so many ways of reminding us he is sovereignly in control of every fine detail of our lives. Every fine detail of his complete will as he rules this world, as he enters into the events of humankind, as he enters into the events of your life, as he was watching over the exact seconds and moments and minutes and hours of Joseph's life, Mary's life, Jesus' life and ministry, Joseph dies. He has another Joseph waiting in the wings to welcome him, right? Really, his body, to care for his body as Jesus ascends back to the Father, You know, he showed himself to more than 500 people at one time. He was validating the resurrection, but then welcomed back into heaven by the Father. There was a Joseph at his birth. There was a Joseph at his death. Nothing is random or chance with God. He's in the big events. He's in the small details. And he handpicks every player in the stories. 
And he's that way with you and me too. Nothing's random. It's not chance. It's not, oh, I bet that didn't, oh, God must not have known that this situation or person. Oh, no. He's handpicked the players in the story to bring about his good. We sung about that a few minutes ago. That all things will work together for good for those that love God and been called according to his purpose. And we believe that. And sometimes it's hard to see how God's doing that. But he brings the players and the timing and the lessons and the truths and the strength of the Holy Spirit to keep trusting and keep walking even though the circumstances aren't adding up and weren't making sense. Like for Joseph. Even though we want to just cut and run on God, we realize, who else would I run to? He's the one that has eternal life and truth. Where would I go? Lord, just keep giving me faith to trust you in this and to keep believing you in this. To see that you'll care for me at the beginning. You'll care for me at the end like you did for your son. Like you did for Joseph. That reminds me how much God loves us and that we matter that deeply. And that he knows every detail and he cares about every detail. And he just wants you to know that and believe that in your heart. And talk to him. If you believe that, you talk to him all day. You go like, wow, that was such an interesting interruption, Lord. Or maybe it actually wasn't an interruption. That was a person I was able to touch in Christ's name or show kindness to or help. That was an opportunity for me to pray or to slow down and to help this neighbor with a situation. Maybe it was me to slow down and get into your word because I was starting to get unraveled in my anger. And Lord, look what you do, even though I can't add it all up. You're working, you're directing in the big things and the small things and with the players and the people in my life. God, let's walk through this together. Let's walk through this day. Let's walk through this moment. Let's walk through this meeting. Let's walk through this conversation. Walk me through this prayer. Heal my heart. Walk me through this pain. And God will and he does. Well, if I had to sum it up, maybe this is how I do it. What can we learn from Joseph? Just a few things to think about and to really pray about. The first is to trust God's plan, even when the circumstances don't make sense. To trust God's plan, even when the circumstances surrounding you aren't, they aren't adding up. They're not making sense to you. So here's the question. Where in your life is God asking you to trust him, his plan, and his timing, and not be fearful about the circumstances? What is that for you? Where in your life right now is God asking you to trust him, his plan and timing? Not be fearful about how the circumstances look. Because God is above and beyond the circumstances, right? It's not what's happening. It's what God's going to do through what's happening. Trust God's plan. Where do you need to do that? Is he putting something on your heart right now? We can also learn to obey God's word with courageous action, like Joseph. To obey God's word with courageous action. Here's a question. Is there a spiritual truth or command from God's word he wants you to obey courageously in faith? Has he illuminated a situation and called you to obey him in this situation to obey this command, to put this truth into action courageously, in faith, 
What would that be? It could be as simple as mending a relationship and giving forgiveness, pouring grace on a tension that exists, stepping out in faith with a new job or a, a ministry or walking across the street and saying hi to someone, being a loving, sacrificial neighbor. I don't know. But whereas God made his way clear through his word, asking you to respond courageously. And we can also learn from Joseph to let God protect our reputation. Here's how I'd put it in a question. Whose opinion of you matters way too much? Whose opinion of you matters way too much? Because it's eclipsing your focus on Jesus and his acceptance of you. Could be a family member. If you stand for truth, you may think, well, they'll, they'll view you differently. They might be angry. They may push you away. They might judge you. They might think you're trying to be holier than thou. I don't know. But you don't want to be eclipsed by the fear of what they would think or whether your reputation would be sullied in their mind in some way. But you will let God protect your reputation. You'll do what he's calling you to do. You'll speak the way he wants you to speak. You'll forgive if that's what he's asking. You'll obey this command if that's where he's directing. And you're going to let the chips fall where they may because you trust God. You're not worried about their opinion of you. It's, it's mattered way too much and it's caused you to even disobey God or to downplay your faith or to not obey in some area. So we can learn from Joseph and his experience. You put your, your reputation in God's hand. He will protect your reputation. And if people accuse, if people don't understand, you just leave that to God. Be faithful. Do what he's calling you to do. Even though the circumstances are hard and you don't have the whole plan and the whole picture, but you do have the next step. And watch the Lord work. Watch the Lord birth something new in your heart because you were willing to say, God, you and you alone and you first and you only. And from that dedication of my walk with you, may that flow out in grace toward others. Even if they don't understand, even if my stand for truth or for grace or for forgiveness or for long-suffering or whatever it is, misunderstood. I will stand, Lord, trusting you to protect your reputation in my life. You know what usually happens in time when you take that stand and you take it again and you take it again? Your reputation is actually for someone who loves God and loves him and loves others graciously. You actually start to help people understand and see Jesus more clearly. You actually become a revelation of who God is in flesh, like Jesus said. Like he said, he was the light. Now he calls you and me to be the light. The light with those that are closest to us. The light with those across the street. A light to those who don't have any clue, or they're mixed up about God, or they hate God, or they hate Christians, or they hate the church, or they're complete agnostics or atheists, or whatever their pain is. Pain is always causing that type of perspective. But you being true to what God calls you to do, Trusting his plan, not worrying about the circumstances, obeying his word when you know it and it's made, been made clear to you and you say, and Lord, you will protect me 
and you will protect your truth and your reputation. In fact, it's not about me, and it's not about my reputation. It's about you and your truth and about what your plan is accomplishing. And I can't imagine the joy that Joseph is celebrating, will continue to celebrate for all of eternity because he was faithful in the strength of God to obey his plan. Even when it was hardest, even when he was ridiculed, even when he was misunderstood, even when he didn't, couldn't control it and nail down all the details, but he was humbly faithful. May you and I be like Joseph. So we're going to have... Uh, Jason, come on up and lead us in a song which speaks about vision. So as the Lord has just helped you see him more clearly today, just say, Lord, continue to open the eyes of my heart to behold you this season, to behold you more closely, to, to look into your face, to look at these different people that surrounded your actual birth, and to be like them and model our lives after their faith. So we're going to pray. Uh, great opportunity. We have the prayer team on both sides of the room. We have the prayer room open, so feel free to come and pray about any of the burdens that are on your heart and your life, family members, struggles, whatever it is. Let's just really lift them up to the Lord. But let's pray right now that God would fill us, right, with this faith. Father, we're grateful for uh, the insight that your word gives us into the, the normal human beings that you chose to bring about your great will and your great promise and your great redemption for all of mankind. For anyone, Lord, that would choose to place their faith in you. And Father, thanks for teaching us about what faith looks like when we can't add it up, when the circumstances may not make sense, when we get glimpses of truth, but we don't see the whole story, but we're being called to act and trust you. I want to be more like Joseph in that way, Lord. Help me to look into your eyes like he did that day and every day with an open heart, with trust, with wonder, with worship on our lips and in our heart and then, Lord, in our lives. Where may our lives display the worship that's actually going on in our heart. To let this great love and wonder come out through our actions, our expressions, our patience, our forgiveness, our love, sacrificially, whatever it is, Lord. Please, Lord Jesus, keep transforming me as I behold my Savior, Jesus.